You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, there's something very powerful about being a father. Uh, Something very powerful about being a child, looking to your father. There's something in you that wants to imitate them. Uh, That's clear when they're very young. It wasn't until I had very young children that I uh, realised that I wasn't nearly as good a dancer as I thought I was. I'd be dancing around and my kids were all imitating me and suddenly I realised my moves were not nearly as cool as I thought. Kids like to imitate their dads. As they get a little bit older, uh, that becomes less and less of something they explicitly want to do. But there's something about your father that as you grow older you realize you you're kind of turning into them whether you like it or not sometimes that's a that's a really positive thing sometimes you look at yourself and go oh that's just like my dad I wish it wasn't like that there's something powerful about being a father that is imitated and that's really what Paul is banking on as he comes to Romans chapter 4 He's saying there's power in imitating your father. And so he brings into his argument the great father, the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham. Well, so far in the letter of Paul to the Romans, Paul's argument has been that whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, whether you're religious or you're irreligious, We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. And so all of us are under God's judgment. But then we heard after three chapters of Paul really sheeting that home, last week we heard the surprising news that though... God is right to judge us, he doesn't. Instead of, and now you are condemned, we heard that it said, but now. God's righteousness is revealed through Jesus Christ, through faith. And so we get to the end of chapter 3, and Paul raises a question that he's he's really going to have to overcome that's going to be in the minds, particularly of the Jewish members of the church, that he's writing to. He says, chapter 3, verse 31, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. See, if you're listening to this, it sounds like Paul is talking about something completely new. There's Old Testament law and there's the Old Testament way of relating to God. And now it sounds like Paul's coming and saying, actually, it's, it's not through the law. It's not through being religious that we're made right with God. It's entirely through faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul's really keen to show that this is not something new. This is, in fact, the way that God has related to his people from the very beginning. This isn't a new idea. And so... He goes to Abraham and his big point is Abraham, there at the very beginning of the Jewish faith, was saved in the same way. 
Paul says, come with me to the Old Testament and I'll show you that Abraham himself related to God in this way. So, chapter 4, verse 3. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So you're saying Abraham in himself, he wasn't righteous, but because of his belief in God's promises, he was reckoned as righteous. He was credited as righteous. It's, it's totally a gift. It's, it's like if you get a letter from a, a lawyer who tells you that actually you've got this long-lost relative, your second cousin, three times removed, they've died and they've left you their enormous fortune, millions of dollars. And to start with, you read that and you think, well, uh, I've got plenty of letters like this from Nigerian princes who want to give me all their money. Uh, It's just a scam. But then you see that your bank balance, your bank account, has been credited with their millions. It's a wonderful gift. You have no right to it because of anything you've done. It's entirely freely given. But that's not like wages, is it? Uh, If you do the work, you have a right to be paid. The money has to be given. Your employer actually has an obligation to pay you. They can't just say, well, actually, this week I've decided, no, uh, we're, we're not going to pay you. No, they, there's a legal right that you have to it. And Paul's point is that in Genesis 15, Abraham has no legal right. He's got no right to this righteousness. It's not wages he's earned, but it's entirely a gift that he's given. Well, we have no right to the righteousness of God either. Perhaps sometimes we can feel like God owes us. I've lived this really moral life. I have made sacrifices for you, God. I've worked hard to live an upright and moral life. And so when things go wrong, you kind of feel like God Why is this happening? Look, I've done all these good things. You owe me. This is wrong. But actually, you have no right to his righteousness. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Our only hope is that God will give us this righteousness freely as a gift. And if that was the case for Abraham, the most revered and honest person in their history, the paragon of righteousness in the Jewish mind, then it's true for all Jews, Paul says. And if it's true of Abraham, the father of all who have faith, then it's true for all of us, for you and me too. It has to be reckoned to us. And actually, this is an integral part of why the good news is such wonderfully good news. Because it means that we can rest assured. 
You see, following Jesus is different from any other religion and it's different from any other approach to the world that you can find. See, every other religion is transactional. You do this, then you get this. It operates on the level of obligation. So if you observe the five pillars of Islam, then you go to heaven. If you do more good things than bad things, you pile up the good karma as opposed to the bad karma, then you get a better life. It's transactional. It depends on being good enough. But that's not just other religions. Actually, it's the whole way almost everyone operates. It's true of Australian society, secular society. How do you obtain the good life in our culture? Uh, if you want to be admired by other people, what do you need? Well, uh, you need lots of money or lots of talent or to be smart or to be fit or to particular or to fit a mostly unattainable body ideal or to be young. There's all these things that we have to be or to do in order to be right. And so we're striving to attain those ideals. We're working hard to be, to be right, to be acceptable either to ourselves or to others. And when we aren't achieving it, then we're working really hard to at least look like we are. And the wages of all this striving is meant to be that everything is right, that I am right, that I am as I should be and I'm acceptable to myself and acceptable to others. Our society is every bit as transactional as religions. The work is different, but the wages are the same. And the thing is, they're never actually paid. You're never quite good enough. You never quite reach the standard. You can maybe fake it for a little while, but you know somewhere deep inside yourself, you're not, you're not getting there. And so there's no rest and there's no assurance. No, we need to look to Abraham to see his example, to break this trap, this burden. It has to depend on faith. Romans 4.16 For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. When families are working properly, uh, there's something in us that looks to our father and makes us want to be like him. We need to look to our spiritual father, to Abraham, and to be like him. And as we are, we discover that we can rest assured. Why? Because our righteousness rests on grace and it's guaranteed. It rests on grace. You don't have to strive for the gift. You don't work for something that is just freely given. We labour so hard and so long to be right, to be acceptable, to feel worthy, but we don't need to. God knows you to your heart. He loves you to your depths and delights in offering you the rightness that you long for. He, he's holding out, it out freely for you to take. 
one of the things about Father's Day is that you, you may not have been a particularly wonderful father over this year. But you're still given the Father's Day gift purely by virtue of the fact that you're a father. Well, righteousness is a gift, only this one is from your Heavenly Father and it's given to you purely by virtue of the fact that you are his child. There's wonderful rest in that. And so you can stop striving and just accept it. Well, we can rest, but we can also be assured It doesn't just rest on grace, but it's also guaranteed. Verse 16, for this reason it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants. Uh, See, if my feeling that I'm right, as I should be, depends on my keeping the law or on my perfect moral obedience or performance or my talent or my intelligence or my looks or whatever it may be, It's always shaky. It's always uncertain. And so if you're trying to do this the religious way by your moral performance, you're always going to be thinking to yourself, and this is a way of checking whether this is actually how you're operating in your heart and in your mind, you'll be thinking to yourself, I hope God will accept me. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I'll go to heaven. Uh, you'll feel like you're falling in and out of God's love and his acceptance and his regard or approval and never be entirely sure how God your Father sees you. Your righteousness will always be precarious. But if God gives you his righteousness as a gift through faith, then can you see that it's, it's guaranteed, it doesn't depend upon your performance. It, it, it isn't given or not given depending on how you're going, how you're performing. It only depends on God's action, on his giving of the gift. And it's already happened. You can look back in history to a day when God actually gave you his righteousness. How do you know? Well, a man called John was there. He was a friend of Jesus and he wrote about it and we've got his words, the words that he wrote about it. Jesus was on the cross, John chapter 19, verse 30. Then Jesus said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. It is already finished. It is already done. God's gift of righteousness through faith is guaranteed. And so as you have faith in God and trust in his words, you can be wonderfully assured that God looks at you and sees you as right. We sung the words a couple of weeks ago, wonderful words, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Isn't that wonderful? 
And you can approach life with such confidence when you are totally sure of your father's love. That's true in, in this life and of our earthly fathers. When you are totally assured that your father loves you, it has a profound impact on how you approach life and the world. And when you're not sure of that, it has an equally profound effect. But when you know that your heavenly father loves you, there is a great confidence and assurance with which you can approach the world and approach life. Well, Paul has said that this is nothing new. It's actually always been through faith, whether Old Testament or New Testament. That was the case for Abraham, the great father of faith. And, and then he looks more closely at Abraham's faith. What, what does it mean to have faith like Abraham? What does it look like? And so he homes in on the story from Genesis 15 uh, that we read earlier. So you remember God's come to Abraham. Abraham doesn't have any children at this stage. And he's promised Abraham that he will become a father. And not just a father of a family, not just the father of a nation, but a father of many nations. He's taken Abraham outside and he said, look up at the sky and see the stars and count them, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And what Paul does is he does his little mini sermon on this passage And he wants us to think a little bit more about just how remarkable it is that God trusted, that Abraham trusted God and his promise. Verse 18. Hoping against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Can you see that everything that he could see at that time would suggest that God's promise to him was utterly impossible? He's old. Sarah's never been able to have children. She's past the childbearing age. This is impossible. And yet, Abraham trusts God. He trusts that if God says it will happen, then it will. will. And then Paul gives this wonderful little definition of faith. What is Abraham's faith? He was, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. You know, that's actually, that's the heart of faith, isn't it? To trust God. Uh, That's, as Abraham looks around and everything he sees suggests that God's promises are impossible, he trusts in God, convinced that God is able to do what he's promised. And it's so easy right now, isn't it, to look around and see God's plans for your good defeated. 
to look at the news of spiralling numbers and endless lockdowns, uh, or more personally, to look at the results of the tests that you've got from your doctor, or to feel the pointlessness or loneliness or, or pressures of the four walls kind of closing in on you as we continue in this seemingly never-ending lockdown. And to wonder if, if God still loves, if God still cares, if his promises to work for your good can still be true. Well, here's some promises of God. They're promises that he's made to you and to all who have faith. God has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has promised a way out of temptations. God has promised that if you pray, he will hear you. God has promised that just as he has begun his good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll carry you to the end. God has promised to work all things for your good. And as you look around at life at the moment, you might look around and think, how is that possible? Surely God's promises to, to work even this circumstance that we're all in at the moment, to work this for our good. How is that possible? But God's promises are always kept. In his great majesty and power, he's able to do able to do it. In his great love and compassion, he delights to do them. And so standing with Abraham is actually a really safe place to stand, convinced that God is able to do and will do what he has promised. Can I encourage you to trust him? Keep trusting him now. It's in days like this that we most need to trust him because we can't see how it all works. Of course, the greatest of his promises is right here in our passage, and it's right here at the end of Romans chapter 4. It ends with these words, verse 23. The words it was credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Do you believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead? then this is the promise. Your sins, your transgressions, your wrongs, your failings, your shortcomings, uh, the shame, every way in which you have fallen short has been taken from you and dealt with in Jesus' death. You are forgiven. Do you believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead? then this is the promise. Through Jesus' resurrection and new life, you have been justified. You stand and none can condemn. Do you believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead? Then this is the promise. God will credit his righteousness to you.
You are right and you are good and you are noble and you are glorious because God has given you his righteousness and his goodness and his nobility and his glory. And if you don't yet believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, you can. Father's Day is a fantastic day to begin to trust in your Heavenly Father. To begin trusting in your good and perfect and true Father and all his promises can be yours as well. You just have to reach out and take the gift to lay down the striving and to trust in your Father's love. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank and praise you that you have always, always offered your righteousness, your goodness as a gift. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we might imitate the example of our Father, our spiritual Father, Abraham, who even though he couldn't see and understand your works and your, how your promises were going to come to be, Yet he believed. And so, Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, encourage and strengthen our faith that in these times, in these days, we too may trust and believe in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.